Hey everybody, before we get started, I just wanted to jump on because we are so excited to announce that Restore Registration is officially open. We can't wait to be with you again this year. It's going to be on September 5th through 7th at the Mountain America Expo Center in Sandy, Utah. That's the evening of September 5th and then all day on the 6th and the 7th. Three days of incredible speakers, poets, musicians, and artists. We really think that what we have planned will blow you away again this year, so you won't want to miss it. Go to faithmatters.org slash restore for tickets and we'll see you there. Hey everybody, this is Aubrey Chavez from Faith Matters. For today's episode, we're really excited to share a conversation that we had with Mally Bonner. Mally has had a long and successful career in the entertainment industry and is the writer, director, and producer of an extraordinary new historical film called His Name is Greenflake. The movie tells the remarkable story of an enslaved black man, Greenflake, who was also a member of the church and immigrated from Nauvoo to Utah as part of the Vanguard group that prepared the trail to the Salt Lake Valley for other saints. His Name is Greenflake has been awarded Best Film in 10 different festivals, including the Venice Film Awards, the London Independent Film Awards, and most recently the LA Film Awards. But in addition to talking about the film with Mally, we also had a conversation about issues of race, past and present, both in America and in the church. Mally has a truly incredible way of approaching these issues with realism, but also with an abundance of faith, hope, and charity. We were able to get his take on some current events as well, including the controversial talk given recently by Brad Wilcox, the second counselor in the General Youngman's presidency of the church. In one of the most moving moments of the conversation, Mally described in an incredibly honest way how he felt and feels when he hears things like that, and the grace that he extends in response. We felt like this was Christ-like love in the truest sense. This felt like one of the most important conversations that we've had in quite some time, and we really can't thank Mally enough for joining us and for being the example that he is. Thanks so much to each of you for listening. We really hope that you get as much out of this conversation as we did. Okay, Mally Bonner, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Super excited to have you here. I am so happy to be here. Thanks. Yeah, of course. It's our pleasure. Um, Maybe, could we start out? So we want to talk about a variety of things, but especially the film that uh, you recently produced, directed. Am I getting that right? Yes, yes. Wrote. Yes, (laughs) all of the above. Um, His name is Green Flake, which is an incredible work. Thank Um, you. Uh, but maybe an interesting place would to start would be, what's the story of how this film came together? It sounds like, just based on what we were talking about before we started, yeah. it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really is. I mean, in 2018, I went to the, well, my family, the Bonner family, sang at the B1 celebration. Yeah. Yep. And it was there that I was hearing, you know, Elijah Abel, Jane Manning James, and then Green Flake. And I had never heard of Green Flake mm-hmm. before. And I was like, gosh... They're saying so many things that I had nothing, I had no idea about. And I felt I almost I felt a little bit guilty. And I was like, I should, I should know these things. Mm. I'm black in the church and I should so I just dove in and began meeting with historians and you know, uh one thing turned to another. So it was like reading sentences and journals. And then as I was reading, I was writing because I work in in music. And so I'm a songwriter and I, you know, and that's that's my space. So as I was learning these stories, I just began writing. And so three weeks later I had 10 songs and three, uh, 200 wow. pages. And I was like, I, I think this is a movie. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. But I was like, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. Or, you know, I guess I'll, let's just shoot it in December, which was like just a few months away. And yeah. of course people were saying that's not the way it goes. And I was like, <laughs> right. well, I don't have time because I got to get back to get back to work. You know, so we ended up shooting um, most of the film in December. Okay. And wow. then I didn't know how I was going to finish it. So September. Yeah. So you're writing it that fall, shooting the same year. Yes. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I finished writing in September was when I finished writing and we were shooting in December. That's oh wild. My gosh. I mean, that, and there were so many miracles just to even get to that point. Yeah. But then wow. I didn't know what I was going to do with it until, you know, the pandemic hit and it was like, now I had all this time. And I was like, I literally, I really felt like it was like for me. I was like, for me? I <laughs> yeah. really did feel like that. Yeah. Even though I'm like, of course, it's like terrible and it's like been the worst for all of us. But yeah. it did bless me in where I was home and music was yeah. shut down. There was no tours that I had to work on. And wow. I just got to edit the film and send it out to festivals. And Wow. Yeah. So the wow. movie had been totally shot pre-pandemic, mm-hmm. but like putting it together was a huge project. Obviously, you didn't have time oh for it. Oh, my gosh. To... Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That is Oh, that's amazing. incredible timing. Wow. Yeah. So, so yeah. talk about the cast. Can you talk about, I, there were yes. some familiar faces and yeah. some new faces. How did you gather these people? Oh, it was uh, phone calls. You know, I just literally, I mean, after I finished writing it, I was like, let me call Alex, Alex Boyer. And I was like, hey, Alex, I made this film and I, I you know, I, I, I think you're going to like it, but I, I, we have to do it all together. It has to be something we all come together mm-hmm. and do. And he's like, okay, well, send me the script. And he sent me, I sent him the script and he called me the next day and was like, man, I can't <laughs> believe it, man. We're doing this right now. 
And I, I say this because I, I want to do his accent, but I sound like Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. So I was like, ah. But he was so excited. Oh He's like, God. we're doing this. Oh. And so he was in. I called Casey Elliott and um, Brad Robbins from um, Gentry. Which I would have gotten all three of them. I didn't know all three. But, yeah. and, and Casey read it and was like, I'm in, you know, wow. and wow. Dallin Bayless and David Osmond, Aaliyah Rose, the Bonner <laughs> family, you know, I mean, the Bonner family was like, gosh, how am I going to get all these black pioneers? I was like, my family. <laughs> you know? So it was like perfect. Wow. But it was so great. I mean, just to have all these musicians and actors who share similar beliefs or the same beliefs as those pioneers that we were mm. portraying, you know, to be able to tell these stories that have never been told this way before was such a special thing. Yeah. You feel that too. Like oh. it really just, it felt like a special movie. It was, and I think that's probably part of it. Like there really is a power in, in like people, ha it was like a passion project. It, it felt like for all, for everybody, you know, not obviously for you, but, but it sounds like also for the cast. And Absolutely. You can, you can like sense that you can really sense that. Yeah. Um, would you talk about how you decided on Greenflake? I hadn't heard of him either. And I feel like that's a name you only have to hear once. And then like you've heard of, you You don't forget. Like he, yeah. it doesn't sound like you're like a, a normal name. So can you talk about how you picked him? And I, I think there are other, um, maybe like even more familiar black pioneer stories like Elijah Abel. And 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 so I was curious how you settled on, on telling his story. That is a fantastic question because I was not settled on Green Flake. It was Elijah Abel. Mm. Because that's it was going where, to be about yes, Elijah Abel? Yes, really? Yeah, wow. that's, that's where you can find the most about. And yeah. it's like, wow, yeah. black priesthood holder before. you mm -hmm. know. And so the, I was writing more him. Like there was, it's probably... There's so many pages that are or put to the side because wow. I just kept feeling drawn to Green Flake. I felt the presence of him, really. Wow. And I was like, who is this Green Flake? I'm like, I know I remember hearing, but why do I keep feeling Green Flake? And so really it just came down to prayer. And then I just began focusing on his life. And it wasn't wow. until I was almost finished that I learned of the connection between him and Brigham Young. Yeah. You know, Brigham Young being a big reason why Green was emancipated in, uh, in 1852. And so I, I, I thought that that was just a big part of the story that needs to be told. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, hindsight, it's, it, it all worked out so, so beautifully. Yeah. yeah. Have you continued really to feel that connection to Green as you told the story and as now as the film has been released and the Yeah. Yeah. Been? To be honest, um, I mean, the truth is, it's a connection between Greenflake and Brigham Young. That you sent. It's the, yeah, it's the two of them. It's not just one. Wow. And, and you would think, like, because when we're talking about this history and enslaved pioneers and Brigham Young being a big part of that becoming yeah. a slave territory for you to, like, he was a big catalyst to that. And for me to feel like they want this story to be told. They want this truth to be to be to be seen and and talked about and allow us to put it all on the table and move forward together in the same way yeah. that they are. Wow. When you think of them from the other side of the veil, so far past racism. Yeah. yeah. Right? Wow. And so here we are. That's really interesting. Let's let's talk more about that because there there are these like opposing viewpoints, I think, among Latter-day Saints as to what, you know, what really happened there. It's either, you know, Brigham Young was not a racist in any way, and this was quote unquote, God's timing, right. you know, or, um, or, you know, he was a racist and we need to disavow, you know, everything that he did and said. And it sounds like maybe what you're, what it seems like what you're expressing is that there's more to it than that. And you sense more to it than that in terms of Brigham's sort of eternal nature as, you know, as mm -hmm. a soul, rather than just like what he, what he did as a, as a person here. Yeah. On. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, you know, in the scriptures, we don't kind of discount anyone based on you know, what their path was and what they accomplished and what they didn't accomplish, you know, and, and I, I do look at the scriptures uh, today and, and think, gosh, man, Peter, how could he deny Christ? He walked with him right. in front of his mother. You're going to deny Christ. Like, I just couldn't believe he did that, but we don't even think for a second that we're going to just throw Christianity out the window and Peter's out and oh, Judas, really you're, you're gone. And, you know, and it doesn't take away from what they did. They did those things. Terrible. Like, ugh. And they're, that's their own thing that they're going to work on. And here we now have Brigham Young. And we have to tell all the things. Because yes, the things that you read, he said. I can't believe he said those things. Doesn't change the fact that he was a prophet of God. Doesn't change his path that the Lord gave him. And so we... I'm not walking away from my faith any more than I'm walking away from Christianity as a whole. Mm -hmm. Based wow. on men, you know? Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. What a, what an, that is such an awesome perspective. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we talk about a continuing restoration, but, but it is more comfortable to draw a line when scripture ends and expect, you know, infallibility from our modern day prophets and leaders. So I I love that, that, you know, they're part, they, they have their own story too. Yeah. And, and that doesn't necessarily have to be an obstacle for our own connection to God. Yeah. Totally. And, and yeah. to that point, we don't have to try to defend the things that were done and said yes. that were wrong. Yeah. Like we, we don't change the story of how Christ's story and how it ended. So tragic. Yeah. But we tell it all. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. So let's right. just continue in that Christianity of being telling the full story of everything and learning from yeah. all the yeah. mistakes and successes. Can what I, a good point. Yeah. We don't sanitize no. Peter's story. Like no, no. we don't talk about that yeah. that day. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's, that's interesting. Can yeah. I ask you, okay, let me ask you sort of a hard question. Um, in the past couple of years, especially there's, as I think there's been increased focus on uh, the reality of racism in America, there's been, a, there's been call for sort of increased scrutiny on historical figures, Brigham Young in particular. And there's there's even been, been rumblings of like, well, BYU needs to be renamed and that kind of thing. Like, how do you how do you think about those type of controversies? I mean, gosh, that's so difficult. It's it's so difficult. Um, I personally, I always err on the side of those who are suffering. And so if 20 years, if, if there's a building in my name and 20 years from now, there's a group of people that I had a big hand in suffering and it's re-traumatizing them in that, then we need to look at it. Wow. You know, my my name on the building is not yeah. more important than the trauma that that's causing. So I don't have a clean answer of off and on and this one's out and this one's in, but to not even look at it, yeah. people are suffering mm. and we can't talk around it. You know, we have to be able to say, okay, well, what adjustments can we make? And that doesn't change who Brigham Young was. But it does change something if we're having people of an, of enslaved ancestry going into buildings that are named after enslavers, you know? And so yeah. that wow. we, we, we can't ignore the pain that that can cause. And so there just has to be more discussion on yeah. what those things are. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so good. I, I love the way you put that. Go Maybe um, just to follow up on that too, yeah. like what are ways that, what are ways that we can have productive discussions? Because- the two strategies are to like yell at each other yeah. and, or just complete, completely avoid it. Right. Yeah. And that seems to be, those two seem to be the two predominant strategies that we seem to be taking in America yeah. on these types of discussions. So like what, like what suggestions do you have for, um, I mean, and for white people in particular that don't really know how to get involved in a discussion, like what are practical steps to be productive and helpful, you know, and, and engage in a, um, I'm not sure what the word is, but just in a healthy way with this. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think I mean, what we what we do lack is having <clears throat> groups of people of different faiths and nationalities coming together and saying, OK, let's have a week's worth of discussions. Let's talk today. Let's talk tomorrow and the next day and find out more. And let me learn more about what the other side of the discussion feels yeah. and why. Why is it so painful to someone to even talk about removing a name from a building. Well, what is that doing? Yeah. What is so? So I need to understand that. Yeah. So that I'm just not looking at. Well, I'm black, and they did this to black people, so take it off. There's more to that. So I yeah. want to understand that. And then the same thing, the other side needs to understand. So what is the pain there, and why is there a connection? If we can just get to the root of where the pain is coming from, and then we can say, okay, well then, how can we celebrate this great man who did great things? Yeah. Do we then tell more of the story as we talk about this great man or how do we celebrate this or, or change that? But we have to be able to talk about all sides of the coin, not just one. Yeah. I love that. Our friend Richard Osler has a podcast that's titled Listen, Learn and Love. Mm. And that, I've, that's really resonating as you say that, because like the first step is to listen, right? Like there's something you don't understand. And as you're listening, actually learn and absorb it and then respond, respond with love. You know, it seems like those are three steps that we could always that we could always use in no matter how difficult a conversation might be. Yeah. And it feels like this step that usually you know, gets skipped when like, I think it has kind of become this cultural norm to immediately have an opinion. And sometimes you, your, sometimes your opinion is formed before you even thought about it because you're, you're just aligning yourself with your, your group, you know, whatever your group is. And so I love the idea of just like pausing, like what if we just pause before we, before we come out fighting, you know, like make a decision that's more thoughtful. And I think that that's hard. Like that really, that is uncomfortable because a lot of times even just the pause is going against the norm. Like even the fact that you'll hold space for another side is uncomfortable, but it feels like probably the first really important step. It so is. I love I, that. I, I'm going to be 
really honest about this. And uh, I was having, this was a couple of years ago, I was talking with someone on Facebook about, it was a smoot, about the smoot building or something. Yeah. Yep. And I, I'm from Los, Los Angeles, so I don't know a whole lot about the buildings and the relevant, all of that, right? Yeah. And she was saying, well, he's... I think it's Abe Smoot. Remember yeah, Abe Smoot. Yeah. You know, he's one of the best men I've, we've ever known. And and then me being black, coming from enslaved ancestry, my great grandfather was enslaved. I'm like the wow. best man you've ever known. Mm. Enslaved other people, like that's as good as it gets. But that's not what she's thinking. Mm. So I'm judging now her off of the best is someone who enslaved. That's not what she's saying. But if that's the end of the conversation, <laughs> then the walls are up. Yeah. I need to better understand why is this man in this building so important to her? Because it means so much. And why is it so important to me? And so I just think we need to really understand and empathize on both sides of where the concern is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really I feel like so much, I feel like what part of what I love so much about this project is just that it sort of, it is creating that space by telling more of the story. Like we, we, we know, a, you know, a handful of stories about black pioneers and black early church members. And I really appreciated just seeing visual representations and, and of maybe like the more even more difficult sides of this of this early history because i think even though we we cognitively understand that there was racism in the church in this era i think i haven't ever actually had to really face it because i've never seen it represented and it was so it was really uncomfortable also it was it it kind of it, it sort of modeled what you're saying like it forced me to ask those questions and think about what that you know how how what was it like to be a mother in that era and like to have children who were also enslaved, like, yeah. like it, it just, it, it didn't have to be so explicit as a discussion between two people, but it, it's two hours of just sitting and pondering these really, really difficult questions. And I think that created a lot more space, like in my heart for things that I just haven't had to really think about yet. So I really appreciated that about the project. And I would love for someone who hasn't seen the movie, I hope everyone who's listening will go find the movie and watch it. But could you just kind of walk us through Greenflake's life and what we yeah. what we know about him? Yeah. So the film is called His Name is Greenflake. And in the film, we follow the lives of free and enslaved black pioneers, uh, namely Greenflake. Greenflake, um, at a young age, around 10 or 11, was separated from his family and inherited by the Flake uh, family, James Madison Flake. And um, by the time he was 16, 17, he was sent to Nauvoo. And um, after Joseph Smith passed away, it was right around that same injunction, around 1844. And right after that, um, the, we know the Pioneer Trek in 1847. And uh, Green Flake, along with a number of others, uh, enslaved pioneers, were sent to be a part of the Vanguard group. And so I think we've heard of like that Vanguard company or that yeah. advanced group. And Green Flake uh, drove the first wagon in that group. And so this, he was 19, yeah, a 19-year-old young man that was also enslaved that was a part of that group. So when Brigham Young became ill at Winter Quarters, that group went on through Immigration Canyon a couple of days before Brigham Young. And we do know that in 1852 to 1862, Utah became a slave territory. And that's like, that's a bombshell in itself for a lot of people. Like, wait, what? And um, so as Green Flake now, this young enslaved man um, is about to now in endure enslavement uh, in Utah, um, Brigham Young played a, a large part in him receiving his emancipation and his wife, Martha, uh, right before it became a slave territory, uh, which is so uh, complicated, you yeah. know? Uh, mm -hmm. uh, but um, what's beautiful in it uh, is, to your point, you kind of get to connect to the human beings behind the story. Exactly. It becomes more real, mm -hmm. you know? And so I do want people to see it because I try not to give an opinion on the movie, on the story and but just allow you to walk away with thought and feeling. Yeah. You know. Was yeah. it was it helpful to have I know that there's kind of limited <laughs> information about the details of his life or you know maybe the or at least maybe the more like emotional aspects of his life. Did you feel like that was actually useful while you were creating this movie? Like was it helpful to have less rigid of a structure that you had to stick to and you could really like take artistic liberties and create a character that that maybe um if you'd had more information to go off of i wonder if that actually would have been limiting li limiting in some ways you know um i think so um <laughs> but you know there there the, the information we have on him is, is so little it could be like yeah. i i can i made a scene from a letter that uh one uh member of the church wrote to brigham young and it was about you know he needs to be signed over to me because i know how to make a slave a slave and he needs to be that that's the scene mm -hmm. wow yeah. and so okay. be, off of that letter knowing that there were 
people in that same space that Greenflake was in mm -hmm. that weren't happy about how he was living his life, where he was walking around, doing things, building, live like this is not the way it's supposed to go to some people. Yeah. And so I have to then draw a relationship between those two from that so that uh, it, it wasn't difficult um, just because I think because I come from enslaved ancestry and I know a lot of stories. So I, I understand the, the life of someone who's enslaved a little bit. Um, but it did give me a little more uh, leeway to um, elaborate on his character. Yeah. 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 There's a, there's a really powerful scene right at the beginning of the movie where green is separated from his mother yes. and his family. And later on when green is talking about, Again, in the film, where he, when he's talking about joining the church, he sort of invokes this this doctrine of eternal families. You know that I'm going to get to see my family again, and that's you know the sort of sort of forms the foundation of his his testimony and his faith in the Latter Day Saint uh, in the in the church. Yeah, and I thought that that was really interesting because typically, um, you know, obviously when we think about eternal families, it's like the separation that we think about is de through death. Right. But there's something much more going on here, obviously. And I wonder if, you know, either for, for black saints, either current or historical, if that doctrine of like families being restored has a special resonance because of, because of this history. I definitely think it did for those free and enslaved black pioneers in the early 1800s and the early 1900s. Um, um, I don't know how much today, like today, the focus has to be so much on healing what happened. Yeah. Throughout the whole 1900s, you know, yeah. and that we don't even really can't even get to what it's all about. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of, we have to put right. it all on the table to kind of start to clean it up so we can get back to the root of it. Oh, but yeah. to, to your point, you know, I, I literally would pray and say, Lord, what, why am I telling this story? Why is it important to green? And I'd be like, green, what do you want? Like why, and why didn't you run? Why mm -hmm. did you yeah. stay? Like, what is the thing? You know, and that, that's what came to my heart and my spirit was wow. the, the reunification of family. All I've known in, in Green's mind, I'm thinking, all I've known is be torn away from family. That's all I've seen. Yeah. And yeah. now I have the opportunity to help this church and my God in Christ that promises to fix all of that. What better way to do the impossible? It's so wow. powerful. Yeah, I really, really appreciated that scene. And that was another one of those details that I think I hadn't really faced. Like that was that was such a specific kind of pain that I don't think I'll ever understand, but it was really it was a really challenging and powerful experience to watch it, to see, to see it visually. And, and, and I want to, I want to talk about the music too, because that was another element that was really, really powerful. There's, I didn't actually realize that you wrote the music. Did you write all of yeah, the music? Yeah, I did. I did. That's incredible. Oh my gosh. Our, our 11 year old was asking <laughs> yeah. about this. I don't remember how he, he goes, said it. He's like, this music is so cool. And it's about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, I love that you said that because honestly, uh, so I love period piece films. That's my thing. But most people under 40, it's not, right, right. you know? And so, but, but I didn't want to, those are the people that need this story Yeah, that need, like, we need to see this and know what was going on. And so I needed to make sure that the music spoke to them in a way that felt yeah. relatable. And so the music does feel current and also fused yeah, with, it really did. yeah. And, and, uh, it, to your, it, to your question about the music, the soundtrack just came out. So now it's, oh, really? yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh my gosh, it's now no. it's available. If you just look up green flake movie soundtrack and you'll, oh, and you'll find awesome. it and you can yeah. Spotify or iTunes, however you get your music. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. I, can you talk about that process a little bit? Did the music <clears> come first or were you writing music for specific scenes? The music came it first. It is just like, it is so, it's, it's soulful. Like you just, yeah. you've, you really, it like makes you feel something. You know, I, I haven't answered any questions about the music because it just happened. And yeah. it, it was, it was therapy for me. I oh. wasn't writing music to like, Ooh, this song. It was like, I'm reading and I'm overwhelmed with emotion and I'm just crying, singing through it. Like most of it were one takes. Cause I, I sang on most of the songs and I don't want to be an artist at all, but oh. I was just yeah. recording it to get it out. So yeah. most of the songs are just one take of me just singing and, oh and some of it was just freestyling what I was feeling at the, wow. in, in the moment. And so it was just to help me cope with what I was learning. And then in the end, after writing things, I was like, this is a thing. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's so neat. We, wow. we, we weren't going to talk about this, but I'd love to ask you, I don't know if you're aware of the, um, the change in the handbook recently that kind of feels like it's maybe creating a little bit more leeway for different styles of music in, in our sacrament meetings. Yes. Do you hope that like, you might be able to see something like music we hear on the movie? In our worship service? What do you mean hope? I'm going to do it. And, yes! and then as soon as the bishop grabs my leg, in? I'm going to be like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate that. Because I remember, <laughs> gosh, maybe 15 years ago, I, 
I, for my testimony, I sang, I, I, I began to sing a song that I, that I had come to my heart the night before and my leg was grabbed mid, mid song because it wasn't no. uh, reverent enough. Um, oh. And, you know, that song went on to be on Gladys Knight's gospel album and won, and won, I won a Grammy for it, you know, but. Oh, right, I right? But, but oh. now we can share things that might feel different. Yes. Like, even though we feel the spirit in all these beautiful hymns, there's other songs and styles that we also can feel the spirit with that are different culturally. So I, I'm excited about that. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that makes me excited. Yeah. That yeah. makes me really excited. That would, it, you, it just, it, it is such, it was so powerful. I just like, don't have another word. It was just it's electrifying like wow. i just can't imagine like a sacrament meeting where we got to experience that too that would yeah. be amazing so um so president nelson recently i mean relatively recently gave a gave a talk in which he asked latter-day saints to lead out in abandoning oh i'm gonna how am i gonna get am i gonna get this right lead out yeah. against attitudes and actions of prejudice i think is what he said and I, it felt like Somehow digging into the past with this with this film may be a catalyst to help do that. Did you feel like did you feel like that could be the case? Yeah, because the truth is black people don't realize that most of the white people that seem to be doing these racist things or saying these racist things or being so close don't even realize it. Don't even know. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. What did I say? What did I do? And then there's white people that have no idea what they're saying or what they're doing can feel like it's racism to these this minority group. Yeah. And so there's just this huge disconnect because of lack of talking about the history, especially within mm. our faith, to talk about, well, this is where we were, this is where things went, and here's where we got back. Okay. And this is so rather than everybody filling in the blanks of history with their own concepts of what they think was. And that's that's what has happened within our faith. That is so important. I, I, I've, I think that's such a, a good point. Like one of the benefits of talking about history is that there are no, there are fewer blanks to fill in because that is almost always problematic. So I, I, I think that's a really good response to someone who says, let's just be positive and move forward. And, you know, we're in a better place. We don't need to talk about what was messy before. Like we need it. We do need to talk about it because it's still there. Those, those issues are still beneath the surface. And this came up, I know that this is kind of a touchy subject, but this came up just very recently in, um, in, in brother Wilcox's talk just a couple of weeks ago. And, and, you know, even I really appreciated that he, he, he faced everyone and, and apologized for insensitivity. But what struck me was that even in the apology, he he still was emphasizing that his point was meant to emphasize God's timing. And and like I feel like that's still something we need to wrestle with and talk a little bit about because I feel like that is holding space for some racism. If we if we need if we need to believe that Brigham Young was right to revoke priesthood and we need to believe that it was right for all of those years until until President Kimball, then then we still have a lot of racism to to wrestle with. So can you can you talk maybe explicitly about ways that we might kind of validate racist ideas without I, I I think that there's this idea that that racism looks like hate speech and it looks like 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 real hate that you can feel and it feels like the energy of hate. And I think you're right that like for a lot of people it's they just don't even realize what they're saying yeah. or that they don't even realize that they're holding these ideas that are oppressive. So can you talk about maybe ways that we are really perpetuating these racist ideas and it might even be well, well-meaning. I, I mean, Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, so I'm going to walk out onto this thin sheet of ice. Okay, me so too. <laughs> I'm going to get my support rope and I'm going to go out. Um, but it, the, the, here's the tough part is that um, we're in a day and age where anyone can find anything just about, you know, and especially the younger generation, they don't even ask older people anything anymore because they could just, I'll look it up. You know what? I got it. <laughs> right. You know, like yeah. they, we don't. And, and, and uh, the, the thing with that is, is that if we're not telling the story, the, the, the truth of the truth of it all from the, from the top down, meaning like from the government of America talking about the history of enslavement in America and the church leadership talking about the history of enslavement or prejudice or racism, then it feels like we're going to be making excuses to try to protect what what doesn't mm. need protection. And wow. back then, racism was it was so clear and so blatant and so obvious. And if we can't identify racism back then, when it's so blatant, then to your point of it's so nuanced and hard to even tell what is and what isn't today, 
we're lost. Wow. And it doesn't, this is what I, I mean, and this is me stepping onto the really thin sheet. I think that, I think that the church needs to know that we as disciples of Jesus Christ can handle it all. We can, we can handle it. You know, it's okay for us to be able to see and say, oh, this is why. But not, we don't know why. Brigham Young said why. He said why in front of everyone and it's documented and people can read it. So saying we don't know why does not help these young people who are like, but I know why. He, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> yeah. So we need to say, mm, that's what he said. And that is wrong. Yeah. You know, and then we can say all together. Yeah. Nobody's going to be like, no, yeah. you know, we, we all we all know that that was wrong to say that, uh, you know, the things, the terrible things he said. And yeah. so if we can just acknowledge racism back then, then we can get to today. Yeah. And for Wilcox, I mean, goodness, I mean, this just opened the door to a, something we weren't ready for, you know, and I am grateful that it's him because he's a great man, yeah. you know, that I'm happy that it's someone that I think can carry this moment. You know, if anyone... He's the one who can carry this. Yeah. And so I'm praying for him and hopeful that he can continue to grow and evolve in this space and the misspeaking and what, what the apology, why it was needed. And like, I think he can handle it. And he's still on that journey and we're going to all watching and learning and growing from him. Yeah. 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 I'm curious if, could you describe what it's, what it's like, what do you hear and feel when you hear, you know, sitting in, like listening to a talk or sitting in a Sunday school class where somebody says this was God's timing? Like what, what do you hear and what do you feel? Oh gosh. Um, I, I, I well, me, I hear like, why do you think God is racist? He's not yeah. like, why do you keep trying to pin it on God is how I feel like God is not racist. Stop pinning that on him. Wow. We are. Yeah. We are the ones that are flawed. And so that's what my initial feeling. Um, but there is a physical reaction. Like it, to be honest, when I, when somebody sent me what, uh, uh, brother Wilcox said and I, I had to stop after a minute and a half. I almost threw up. I had to go back and listen a little bit. I almost, it was a physical reaction. It was so hard. One, because he's talking about my people mm -hmm. like they're not even there. The blacks. I have young 14, 15 year old black boys sitting there. And he's talking about them like they're not even there, as he says, the blacks. And I remember that. I remember being in seminary class and my seminary teacher had me stand up and he said, you will not meet Christ. And he said, now, listen, it's not your fault. The color of your skin and then went on. And this would happen over and over. And he was trying to fill in the blanks of what we don't talk about. I don't think that my seminary teacher was this overt racist that was just out to get me. I think he was filling in the blanks of what yeah. he thought was. And the reason why it's so damaging what Will, Brother Wilcox did is because it brings back some of this trauma, you know, and it and it kind of solidifies what was taught. And so I don't want him to have to carry all that. That's so much for one man to carry. And I, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sorry for that for him. Yeah. But the pain is real because the damage has real life implications on how we as black people our experiences in the church. Yeah. Thank you so um, much for sharing that. Yeah. I, I'm, I don't think I've ever actually heard that articulated. And I, I really appreciate that. Like we can chew on that and think about it. I yeah. Too. Thank you. There a couple of weeks ago, we talked to Terrell Givens and he, he was talking about the old Testament and he said he started his class by writing this quote on the board that said, I wish for Christianity, unity in essentials, freedom in non-essentials and charity in all things or something very close to that. Mm -hmm. And and we've been talking this week that this is an essential thing. Like we need we need to talk about our our church and our church's issues with racism because it's an essential thing. Like we've got to at least be able to unite around this idea that it, this is not a God's timing issue. Like God is not a racist. Like, let, or maybe there it is. Like there is our essential thing. Like let's all feel like there there is freedom to say unequivocally, God is not a racist and people are racist. And like, let's like establish those two things. And so that we can move forward. Like, I, I think that that's just such an important point that we can't really move forward until we're comfortable saying that we're comfortable pinning the racism on someone else, but God. Yeah. So I, I thank you anywhere that's, else, but him, like yeah. <laughs> anywhere else, because everything's really complicated. If you're starting with a, a racist God, yeah. like you, like, how do you make good fruit out of that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So. Thank you. Wow. That just feels so important. Where I'm, I'm curious too. I mean, also on the subject, like where, where do, in what ways do you 
actively experience racism today or where do you feel like black people in America particularly do? I mean, a lot of times, you know, you hear this argument, oh, I'm not a racist because, you know, I don't use racial slurs. I don't actively support discriminatory policies. So, like what is what is the 2022 version of racism that's still pervasive? I mean, obviously that exists still but no, like, yeah. how oh, i'm else, sorry how, I, yes how else does I, it look yeah, no you know, no like, absolutely yeah. no no i understand i totally yeah. understand what you're saying um it i mean i don't want to speak for all black people but it's in different ways you know for me i mean one year i was pulled over and taken out of my car 13 times in one year oh, 13 times serious? in one year you know and it's like it's and you know for me i i don't think it's a fluke you know, I don't think yeah. I'm just like this a maniac driver, you know, yeah. and um, I had a cool car, which I thought was cool. And I just got <laughs> rid of it because I'm like, maybe it's the combination of me and the oh car. Gosh. And, you know, there's there's so many situations there was wow. this, I, I could I could go on and on. But I'll, OK, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. Okay. Um, I was 13 years old and I went and visited a, a friend here in Utah. I was I was living in Vegas and my friend lived in Utah and I went and visited him and we went to the grocery store and got some candy. We walked there and it was snowing outside. It was awesome. It was my first time like experiencing snow. It was great. <laughs> and we get our candy. We go to come out and it's just pouring down snow. And um, I we were like, well, let's just wait. So we just sat up against, leaned up against like the, the salt bags, the salt you guys throw yeah. on stuff, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And so, you Utah cold people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, what is this blue rock on the floor? <laughs> so weird. So we just sat there eating our candy. And then a few minutes later, we see these cop cars come swerving up into the thing. And we're like, oh, man, maybe there's like a robbery going on in there or something. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they pull up and they grab us. And they just kind of just start shaking us around and yelling things like seven. They're probably telling us the things like get on the ground and something. I don't even know what they were yelling, but it was just crazy. And. And then some, peop some people come out the store and a lady's there and he says, is this them, ma'am? And she says, yep, that's them. And, and he said, where's the salt bags? And she says, I don't know. I didn't see where the, I don't know. He's like, well, you, you saw, you, they were putting salt bags on the truck, right? Yeah. Well, where? Well, I didn't, I didn't see him do it, but it looked like they were gonna, oh is God. what she said. It looked like they were gonna. And I remember that so clearly. And he's like, so they, so they didn't. No, no, I guess, may well, maybe not. And so then, oh of course, gosh. he took us out and, you know, stay off the salt bags. And that was kind of the end of it. But my point is what we see in media and the stories that are told and the portrayal, it, it not only affects white people, it affects me, too. Yeah, I'm black. And why am I having a reaction? Me my four brothers can walk down the street and we're just laughing. But I'm having a reaction to four black men walking down because of what's been given to me as a black man. It's not affecting just white people. It's affecting human beings. And uh, so I want to tell these stories so we can see the human beings behind it, that the stereotypes that are put out um, yeah. are stereotypes and we can't accept them as truth. I don't, again, I don't think that she's this overt racist that has these black boys stealing from her garden. I think that she believes what's been given to her. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, there are lived experiences that I have on a regular basis that affects my, my freedom, yeah. you know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And Thank just another, that. yeah. Another reason to like, just dig into what we've been given. Yeah. Like let's dissect that and, and like look through it instead of just, instead of just moving forward, you know, like we have something broken that needs to be, that needs to be healed, you know? I, I feel like, and sorry, I, 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 I'm just really appreciative of what you're saying. I yeah. want to dive in on one other, one other question that I have. And that's like, I it, sometimes it feels like to be, and anti-racist, the first step is to insist that you are not racist. Is that, it, could there be power though, maybe in acknowledging that in some way you, you know, speaking in quotes, everyone, one is racist in, in some way. Is that, is that a part of it? I mean, I mean, in a perfect world, that's what I would love. But I just yeah. think the word is just so heavy okay. and so overwhelming for people that I don't mm. care. Replace the word, but let's just identify the injustice and wow. and things that we're doing that are like, oh, that's not fair. Oh, that's I'm judging them before. Like call it whatever you want to call it, but don't let the word stop you from looking at the actions. Because back in the day, like my grandmother was telling the story about you know a friend of hers, six year old friend of hers who was who was hung because of they thought that they that he looked at one of the women and yeah. she didn't want to go down that street because of what happened. And she's like, and they, they all were there. It was the judges. It was the lawyers. It was the pastors. They all were there, you know, cause we know, cause they all took their hoods off and, and they wouldn't have said then that they were racist and we're nowhere near what they were. But the denial of racism is not new. 
It's what the worst things happened in the world in America, wow. and they didn't even say they were racist then. So let's just be different and look at the actions at least. Yeah. So don't we just keep continue perpetuating the pain and suffering of others? Yeah. We we talked to um, Lashawn. Is it Williams? Yeah, mm. Lashawn Williams. Right after the murder of George Floyd, mm. and she said this in another way. She talked about always asking yourself, "Lord, is it I?" And and she kind of used that Bible story to just call us to that introspection, like you know, in any situation, pausing and asking, Lord, is it I? And where is it me? You know, like it, it, where is, where is there some ounce of injustice in me that I want to root out? Because like how many of us would literally find nothing that could be improved upon? So I, I think that's such wonderful advice. I really love that. It, it is, it is hard. It is hard work. And you said yeah. something earlier when like, if we don't address that, then how can we deal with everything else? Like for me, yeah. like there's a point in my marriage where you know, I'm doing all the things like I'm taking my wife out on the date and I'm doing the things and I'm calling her all the sweet things and checking on her. And then she was just giving me nothing back, nothing back. And then finally she said, we need therapy. I'm like, for what? And, she, and she's like, we just need to talk. Like, I just I'm not happy with the way things. I'm like, I'm calling her bluff. So I'm like, OK, cool. I'll call him. I'm going to call him. And so I'm, I'm just going to call her bluff so she can be like, sorry, I was just mad. But I guess she wasn't. And so I call and we get into therapy and I'm like he's making it worse. He's bringing up all this stuff. This is not a problem with us. And she's like, no, it is. And we just unearthed all these things that needed to be addressed. And then it got better. Wow. It got better than it ever was. And even though before we went to therapy, I was doing the things that also matter. It was hard to even appreciate these good things because we weren't dealing with the root of our problems. And it's the same thing with our faith. Like I, I love president Nelson's message, but if we don't address that, then it's hard to talk about all the other aspects of the gospel yeah. and avoid that one spot. Oh my gosh, that's such a good wow. point. What a good metaphor. It's therapy. We need we need some yeah. we need some history yeah. therapy. Um, do you think that like is truth always going to bring you closer to God in the end? Like, do you do you feel like there's ever I think you know, something we talk about a lot is that there there is kind of this sentiment in our culture that, and not necessarily around just historical issues, but that we should you should be careful, you know, careful about what you learn. That some things might actually hurt your faith, not help it. And so, do you think that that do you think that's the case? Do you think the truth will always eventually draw you closer to God? I do actually. I do. Um, I think that you have to be in tune with what you feel about what you're learning. You know, mm. so that the spirit of truth can confirm that it is actually true, you know, but, you know, uh, Joseph Smith got down on his knees and said a prayer that he shouldn't have prayed, like go to the church your family goes to, wow. like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. You know, but he had to go there and find out for himself and then find that like, no, I, there's, there's something else. And I think that we have to make that journey and take that example of really getting to the root of our testimony, because if we don't, because he got to the root of his and it seemed like no matter how you look at his life, because to me, it's tragic. It's yeah. tragic. He, he, the way he died and his family members being hunted down, tragic. And he was okay with that because of the root of his testimony. Now, here we are in 2022, and there's so many things that can destroy our testimony, policies that we don't agree with, uh, a leader saying what he said, like, oh, you know, that's it. That's the straw that broke the whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't want to talk about those who have left, but- I would just say, think about the root of your testimony. If it's rooted in Christ, then nothing else matters because there's going to be more. I promise you, those who are on the fringes, oh, just there's more. So right now, dig in and find the root of your testimony because there's going to be more things you don't like, hear, agree with as we go on. Wow, that's so good. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about what you said about it. it's helpful when, when information comes from the top down because then you don't fill in the blanks. But for the average member where it feels like maybe that isn't happening, I, I think it's yeah. happening better. You know, it's happening better. But but what advice do you have for people who are who are recognizing that like that um, tension in themselves when they hear something like Brother Wilcox's talk and they're recognizing that like, ooh, this feels that feels bad to me. And but but you're not in a position of leadership to, you know, talk about history to your ward even like that might not be your position or somewhere where you have influence. So so what advice do you have for people who are just you know, trying to connect to God through the church, but recognizing some of these issues. Yeah, I think you know, to to your point, it's like I was saying what 
doesn't happen. You know, it yeah. typically doesn't happen like, that way where it's oh, just okay. going to be yeah. dropped drop down from the top and they'd sell it's us. So and, right. great. It'd yeah. be really, That'd really be great. awesome. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Thank you for, yeah. But <laughs> we do have our own personal journey on navigating through what is okay and what isn't. And sometimes that's uncomfortable because we feel guilty about saying that this is wrong. Shouldn't somebody else say it's wrong before me? Maybe yeah. My bishop should yeah. say it first, or maybe yeah. like the prophet should say it right. first or, yeah, you know, that's but, its own pain. Yeah, yeah. But we have to be ident- to identify what is not okay and what isn't. And that does not change what we believe. Christ still died for the gospel and lived for the gospel. So that's never changing, but there can be things that are said and done that are not okay on the way. And it's okay to say it. And, yeah. and that makes it, I, I like that. I like that framework because it, it, it sort of, um, it defines sustaining, you know, in a in a way that feels validating and and hopeful. You know that what if sustaining looks like standing up and saying this feels wrong to me, and I'm here, like I'm here in the room, and I'm staying in the conversation, but like I'm I'm I need to like hold space for the fact that I don't want to keep perpetuating this idea that the that the priesthood temple ban was God's timing, and like yeah, isn't that sustaining? Isn't that sustaining our leaders? It, 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 yes, it is. And imagine, I, I imagine. Um, in a six month from now, you know, and seeing uh, Brother Wilcox giving multiple, I mean, this is my dream. This is my fantasy that <laughs> I hope comes true. And then he's speaking on um, blacks in the priesthood and and rectifying things that he didn't address and and other things with the churches, like all the little problems that were in that that talk. And he is fixing it, like yeah. going about it, saying that that was not okay, and this is why, and this is why. I would double sustain. Is there a double sustain? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that, like that is, that's what yeah. it's all about. So the, someone who yeah. messes up fine, but it's about where are we going? That's yeah. what matters. Yeah. I love that. Like that is the essence of the gospel, right? Like that kind of redemption and like evolution and growth. Like that would be, that would, that would be my dream too. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, can we, can we get back just briefly to, uh, to the film? Yes. Um, so I know, could you talk a little bit about the reception that it's received? I know that there's, yeah. been, it's been quite remarkable. Yeah. I mean, this, okay. It, it is so far out of my hands because we know how sensitive topics of race are. Like mm-hmm. we know. And even maybe when this comes out, maybe some people are like, may, maybe some people have views or, or opinions that, and they'll be arguing. Hopefully they don't. And they feel the spirit of this and they avoid all of that. And with the film, that's what's happened. It's been really? complete. There's not one negative comment, like wow. not one. And we know how easy it is to start getting in a Facebook yeah. argument over someone just saying happy Black History Month, right? <laughs> yes. You know, and then it turns into yeah. a thing, right? Yeah. There's been zero zero like not even someone being like well good luck with your monument guy or something to me you know because the (laughs) the proceeds are going towards building a monument and but there's been nothing and i know that the lord is watching over this and i'm just so grateful to be a part of it wow yeah well i mean the energy that you've approached it with i feel like is so well it comes through it does it does and obviously it's it's done positive okay this is actually leading me to a question because i feel like the worry that about what i'm saying is that i'm implying everything should be done with a positive energy yeah like sometimes sometimes maybe we we need to get away from feeling like everything's positive yeah i don't do, can no, you talk about that no i i can't i can't i because i i get your I, yeah that's <laughs> yeah I, I totally understand where you're coming from so here's the thing maybe the the word is hope yeah there just has to be hope because oh, wow. you know it, i believe in jesus christ and i believe in my god and he's a god of hope and and i i i know that things will get better i know that things can be great and I just believe in the best of us. We're all the things. Mm-hmm. I am so amazing and I'm terrible. I'm all the things <laughs> in between. Really. And but yeah. and, and I just I just know that if we can just be hopeful that the best of us can come out in the hardest times, that the Lord will sustain that and he will bless us with that gift. And 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 so uh to your point, um, we can talk about, about these things and keep hope that it can be better. Yeah. Wow, I love that, and I'm so excited about the monument. Do you want to talk about that? Oh is that goodness. on track yeah. for this summer? Still, it is. Okay. It is. Like, what's crazy is just I think it was a few days ago, like almost a week ago to the date, was yeah. when I realized this needed to be. This has to go towards a monument because my wow. my plan. I didn't have a plan. I just knew I needed <laughs> to make the film, and it had to get out there, especially for the youth. I'm in the bishopric, and 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 I get youth in LA that come to me and like side questions, and I'm like, yeah. gosh, man, these poor kids. Mm. So I knew that this story was going to help strengthen their testimony the same way it did mine. Um, and 
uh, after I made the film and threw it into film festivals, because I guess that's what you're supposed to do. And it won best film in L.A. and best film in London and Istanbul and Rome. And it's I'm so like, incredible. Well, yeah, it was incredible. And I was like, uh, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> I just I just knew it. I was like, thank you, Lord. You didn't forget me. I knew it. That's what this is about. You know, and so literally. And so I was like calling the cast and crew to do like a photo near the monuments in Utah because I'm not from here. I'm like, let's do let's just go to the Salt Lake monuments with Green Flag and Oscar. And I just thought that there were. Yeah. And that's when I realized there weren't that over time their stories had been le left or lost, yeah. you know, not changed, just lost in history. Because at one point, Green Flake was speaking at Pioneer Day alongside leaders of the church, you know, so they, mm -hmm. they knew who he was and they celebrated him all the way to the end. But we lost that somewhere along the way. And so I realized that this film and the proceeds for the film, we're going to go towards a monument and the Lord will take care of you later. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's, that really is so remarkable. So is That's there a location? Insane. Yes. Already. This is, I didn't even answer your question. Yeah. This is the, <laughs> so tell me about the monument. This is the place heritage park. Um, and, and it's going to be on July 22nd. So the okay. 175th anniversary of when green flake, Oscar, um, Smith, Hark Wales came through with that Vanguard group, uh, through immigration Canyon. Oh, so, and, wow. and will it be the three of them. Uh, yes. Yeah, so it'll be okay. the three of them, uh, along with Jane Manning James as oh, well. Okay. Oh, wow. And yeah. so you're saying there's an event taking place that day. Yeah. That's the, that's the dedication on July 22nd. That's a Friday. So it's like, there's going to be a lot of celebrations because okay. of Pioneer yeah. Weekend, Pioneer yeah. Day Weekend. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And where, where can people go to sort of keep up on the news and get that on their calendars? Yeah. And that so, kind of thing? so yeah, we'll be updating all that at greenflakemovie.com. So that's okay. where people can learn more in, in general. Cause I'm sure there's some people that are like, okay, this is a lot. And they're like, yeah. Green Flake, what and who? <laughs> so if you go to greenflakemovie.com, you can find more about the stories of these pioneers you can find out about the film and where to get it and we're going to keep updating folks on the monument okay okay I mean, it's so exciting it'll be so exciting to have like something tangible like a tangible totally. place to go and yes. and remember these people so thank you they i'm I, i'm so excited i mean it's it's like two totally separate projects now like the movie exists and that's something we can all gather around and then we'll have this absolutely this there too. picnic really at the monument i can't yeah. wait yeah 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 Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Mally, for your work on this, for your incredibly lucid, compassionate, realistic yeah. comments on on race and racism. Mm -hmm. It's just this has been a really important conversation for me. And I think yeah. for everyone. Yep. Thank you yeah, so much. Thank Thanks you. for having me and asking the tough questions. You didn't avoid anything. <laughs> well, I'm thanks like, for the, walking on the thin ice. Or yeah, yeah, well, yeah we made it back to the land. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right, thanks, Mally. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for listening. We really hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Mally Bonner. And as always, if Faith Matters content is resonating with you and you get the chance, we would love for you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen on. We read all of the reviews and it really helps us to get the word out about Faith Matters. And we appreciate the support. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you can check out more at faithmatters.org.